Welcome back to the Character Corner with your host Chris and Deepom here, and we are finally back here with the seventy-eighth episode of the Character Corner. That's too many. It kind of is, man. We um, like UD Pods Weekly, and I just put up one fifty-six. Yeah, man. Yeah, we and, and you know and these are these are way bigger than those. And here's the thing: the, these are that's this is the the main episode. These don't count like the Character Corner shorts and the. The comic book club and things like that. This is only the numbered episodes. So, <laughs> yeah. We are back we're not going to slow down. We're not going to stop because guess what? This is so good. Yeah, this is so good. This is so much fun. So much fun. So, we are here back. We're here to talk about your favorite comic book characters or comic book runs. And right now, we are in the middle. Well, actually, I guess we're three quarters of the way through our Claremont X-Men run. This is part three. Um, we're kind of going to pick right up for when we left off at. Right after issue 200, that's where we left off last time uh, with the trial of Magneto. So we're going to start with 201 and then go all the way up to 243. So we'll be hitting things like, um, I think the order is uh, Mutant Massacre, uh, Fall of the Mutants, and then we'll be doing, we'll be finishing up with Inferno uh, around issue 243. And um, so just so you guys know, um, one, we didn't plan any of this stuff, how we do this stuff. Like, honestly, when we decided we were going to do Claremont X-Men Run, we ended up doing it, like, on the 75th anniversary, and it was, issue, it was episode 75 back in May, and it's, it like, all that crazy shit. We hadn't planned any of that shit. We also... So, and also, what we realized is that not only did we not plan it, this one is one we've talked about for a while. Yeah, we've been talking about doing something for X-Men for a while, and then I finally was like, you know, let's, let's do Claremont. Let's just start from the beginning of the Claremont Run and go through it. And um, I think it's fitting that we're going to finish this Claremont run next month, uh, probably end of next month, around the time that uh, Hickman's House and Powers uh, of X uh, get, get done. And uh, we were, we, I literally, we spent maybe 10 minutes before we do in this episode talking just about how much of the stuff we're reading in Claremont X-Men is popping up in the Hickman, Hickman books right now. Sinister, Nimrod, um, Apocalypse. I mean, I know, and I know, and I know Apocalypse isn't there. I know, I know Apocalypse is not Claremont, but like we're gonna get it later Moira. on to Claremont, Claremont, and Moira into Claremont and Louis Simonson, who really have a one-two punch during this era with Simonson running, uh, doing uh, X Factor, and then Claremont doing X Men. Like, and we've talked a little bit about the the Simonson's X Factor run when we did the um, the Summers Brothers. And so now coming back here and doing the Claremont run and is seeing how Simonson and Claremont had to, and we'll get into kind of reason why they had to do this, had to kind of play off the, those two books they were doing to run together. So you're getting, you know, uh, Simonson dealing with uh, uh, Apocalypse and then you're getting Claremont with, with Sinister here. And then we, we, we were, we've already done both of those characters on the character corner. Um, so you definitely want to check out those character corners, the Apocalypse and uh, Mr. Sinister character corner. The Scott and Alex Summers uh, character corner episodes, you definitely want to uh, read those because uh, listen to those because they back these up. But like going back to the Hickman stuff, like so much of the stuff that you read in Hickman, you can pick up in these Claremont runs and you can clearly tell th- what uh, Hickman went back to reading and where his first love is because there's so much Claremont in that stuff. You know, dripping with it. It's 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 just amazing. You know, it's it's it. it I don't know. It's 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 just fantastic. Um, we don't want to turn this into a House and Powers of X thing because we could, and it'll be adding like an hour onto this show right here, at least. Uh, remember, we're doing that for the pull list in October when that series ends. We'll come in and we'll talk that, and I think after that, 
So maybe we'll probably begin in November is when we're going to do, because we're going to also do uh, New Moons Part 2, but we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Um, but uh, yeah, man, there's just there's so much with this stuff. And I don't think you guys understand. We, we do this show, but this is selfish. <laughs> it truly is. This is completely selfish on our part. We absolutely love this stuff. We are now getting into the part of X-Men where this is where we started reading this stuff. This, these are the X-Men books of, you know, the times when we were, we were reading late 80s, early 90s stuff of, 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 of X-Men, which is, you know, where you, we, you know, this is where our love came from. This is where you, you can really see, and after going back and reading some of the stuff, it's, it's amazing to me. It's not, not something even I had in the notes here. But um, it's amazing to me because we talk about how much, you know, about diversity of characters, inclusion, having female characters. We also talk about how, you know, getting, you know, we need more uh, female writers and comic creators and things like that. But at the same time, we want male writers to do a better job of writing female characters. And I got to say, man, Claremont does a fantastic job with introducing and, and really making female characters the center of these books when you think about it these x books are really centered around a lot of their female characters um i was trying to look at the times i know it's not they don't run concurrently but when we did the captain marvel i think it was part two or three whatever one we did i think it was part two where we did i uh, talked about how um monica and rambo ended up becoming leader of the avengers and how during that stretch it was uh you, you, your endpoint into your perspective into the Avengers was through Monica and Rambeau. When you start reading these X Men runs, you see like Storm is leader of the X Men when she doesn't have her powers. And it. Okay, so there's a lot to say about that. But before I say anything else, I want to touch on kind of the exposition parts of this because this, these comics read different than a comic does in 2019. Oh, absolutely. And it's back to that Stanley trope that I always tell people, every comic is someone's first comic. And sometimes it's a little grating when you're reading it in large chunks like we are to have every character introduced every book. But I'll tell you right now, as I'm reading these books, I, it takes me back, like you said, this is the origins of our X-Men fandom. I remember the issue where Rachel squares off at the Beyonder and has to save the rest of the X-Men from the Sentinels in the middle of San Francisco. I remember, yeah. oh, I can smell the pages. Yeah. And for a kid who stumbles across a book, having those introductions, having the settings explained and having it not feel overly contrived, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. And we've reached kind of the fan era of comic books where fans are writing for fans. And I get that. And that's awesome. But man, for a, a what, nine, 10 year old kid stumbling across an old X-Men, I love that issue because that's you get the introduction of everyone's powers, the explanation of their motives. You get snapshot into the personalities, and you're right. The women's voices from at any point in this run are the strongest ones in the book. Yeah, whether it's focusing on Storm and her struggles with leadership, or um, Betsy and her desire to be part of the team, or Rogue and her conf conflicted nature towards Captain Marvel. Like these women rule this book. They drive this book. The idea that they may not call X-Men X-Men on the big screen for the MCU makes a lot of fucking sense. I don't agree with a lot of things that happened at Fox, but them saying that the word X-Men feels reductive in 2019, it feels reductive in 1984. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <clears throat> yeah. 
the um when you think about it, it almost feels like some at some point anytime a male character was added there was like two more there were female characters added like we get long shot being added but then like you said we get betsy and we get dazzler added to the team as well you they bring know back dazzler, yeah yeah and they bring back dazzler. the whole arc Right, everybody's like, and everybody's fully. It's it's it, and and I think this is something that doesn't. And again, I think I think your explanation about fans writing for fans now is true, and it's not to say that, that that's that's bad writing or it's not good because those are, obviously those are good stories. But back then, like you said, you got full arcs for something, and and this arc we're about to go into right now um, has a lot of that. In there, where you have, you know, characters that, that you you go go through these whole internal struggles. Like, and we'll talk about Storm in a little bit, but her struggle, and we see that through not just the X Men books, but also the New Mutant book, because we cover some of the New Mutant stuff where she also didn't have her powers then, and she's on that team, and she's struggling with her leadership because she's not just leader of the X Men, but then she's also leader of the Morlocks, and mm-hmm. she's having to deal with being this leader without her powers. Uh, still feeling like she's not showing the fear that she doesn't have her powers and isn't isn't contributing, and you, you can see that she's still more than capable because there's plenty of times when she's end up whooping somebody's ass without their like what was it um the fact that she she uh, knocked down Stonewall twice without her powers and he's like supposed to be the guy who can never be knocked yeah, down his, his thing is I can't be moved she's like mm. she does it twice without her power it's it like it comes out later on <laughs> like they, I think when uh, they join freedom uh, when uh, Stonewall joins Freedom Force it's like yeah he's still kind of a he still kind of feels the kind of way because Storm uh, kind of embarrassed him twice <laughs> you know um but you're right. Everybody gets these fully formed arcs. Like I said, and and you know you have you even get one early on with Rachel. You know, with her. You know, we we up until this point we keep meeting Rachel every now and then, and you get this uh, this little arc with her up up to I think about mm, what it was like two oh eight or something like that, with her uh, eventually getting uh, Wolverine's always stabbing people that aren't aren't Jean. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're gonna talk about this while we read it, but right. also. It's so interesting, particularly with Logan, to watch. He's resolved the issues that people stuck him with in 2019. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the beast and the man who's trying to overcome with honor. He overcame that. Chris Claremont was like, "No, no, no! I'm not starting this character. I'm telling you, this character's growth and change." By the end, like you get those interior monologues from Storm, from Dazzle, from uh, uh, Katie after uh, uh, after Colossus kills um, Riptide. Yeah, about how being a hero, like what this matters to them. Yeah, and it's super interesting to me to see kind of, I don't know, I guess I guess the evolution of themselves because yes, they see themselves as fighters, they see themselves as as people protecting each other and protecting mutants. But more than anything, they do view themselves as heroes, despite what the other world may, what the rest of the world may say about them. Right, absolutely. So, all right, before we jump in, the last thing I want to say about this is so we're going from again like two hundred one all the way to two forty three. I. And I don't. I know it's not grouped this way because they each have their own little things going on. But I almost say I, I'd almost call like two ten to two forty three, like almost like the Sinister Saga because he's always in the background, and and a lot of the stuff that ends up happening ties back to some plan Sinister has. And they, he's basically the man behind the curtain for a lot of this. And I think that comes from. I, I guess we'll jump and do the elephant in the room first, and we'll do Rachel Summers. But the elephant in the room here is clearly that. 
Jean Grey returns in, in Fantastic Four to 286. <laughs> off, literally off book, like not in any of the books that are main X titles. Right. So this was this was not a plan that Claremont wanted. His plan was never for Jean to return. She was dead. And Madeline was, you know, the next step for, for, for Scott. Matter of fact, I don't think he ever had Scott coming back to the X-Men at any point. Um, I, I'm going to read. This is this is off of the wiki page from an interview that he, he had. Uh, originally, the Madeline story was that in a slippers level, she was one of the million shot that just happened to look like Jean Grey, a.k.a. the first Phoenix. And the relationship was summed up by the moment when Scott said, are you Jean? And she punches him. That was an uncanny X-Men 174. Because her whole desire was to be deeply loved, loved uh, for uh, was to be deeply loved for herself, not to be loved as the uh, evocation of her uh, boyfriend's dead romantic lover and sweetheart. I mean, it's a classical theme. You can go back to the whole host of 1930 film, 1940s Hitchcock films, but it all got invalidated by the res- resurrection of Jean Grey in X Factor Number One, which is technically actually Fantastic Four 286. Uh, the original plotline was that Scott marries Madeline and they have their child. They go off to Alaska and he goes to work for his grandparents. He retires from the X-Men. He's a reserve me- uh, member. He's available for emergencies. He comes back on a special occasions for special fights, but he has a life. He's grown up. He has grown out of the, uh, grown out of the monastery. He is in the real world now. He has a child. He has maybe more than one child. It's a metaphor for us all. We all grow up. We all move on. Scott was going to move on. Gene was dead. Get on with your life. And it was uh, close to a happy ending. He lived heavy, ha- happily ever after, and it was created the impression that maybe if you came back in 10 years, other X-Men would have grown up and out too. Would Kitty stay with the team forever? Would Nightcrawler with any of them? Because, of the, be, be, because that, w- that way we could evolve them into new directions, we could bring in new characters. There, was a, there would be an ongoing series of renewals and, and growth and change in a positive sense. Then unfortunately, Gene was resurrected. He is such a politician with this this is he's also he's also i think he's also friends i think he's good friends with john burns so he's like he was just like i'll take it i'll do we'll fix it we'll fix it in post um (laughs) gene was resurrected scott scott dumps his wife and kid goes back to the old girlfriend so it not only destroys scott's character as a hero as a decent human being being it creates an untenable structure uh structural situation what do we do with madeline and the kid so ultimately the resolution was turn into the goblet queen kill her off and that was an old interview Claremont did years back with this, which I think there's a lot of things that when you when you read what his original plan was, when you see what else he's done, it makes sense, right? It's right. it's it's growth, and I think that goes back to what you were saying about you know with Wolverine and Wolverine having to still resolving issues that we had in 2019 that he had back in the, the 80s when when Claremont resolved them is because I think there's a fear for some writers and maybe even for the publication itself to actually grow on from something. You, you move some things forward and, and I get it, right? It's, they're still, it's the, there's it's still the things to sell. The big two comics, the illusion right. of change. Well, yeah. And it's also like, in the, in the, I think the thing that one, not really one Claremont over, but he understood it was like, bring him back. Drink Jean Grey was going to sell a lot of comics. It did. And it did. This is the best selling comic in the world at this point, guys. Right. So at, at that point, like his argument of, but the story is not that good if you bring her back is like, but do we sell books? You know, and, and, I, and like you said, it goes back to the illusion of change in the big two. You're always going to get back to this point. You know, somebody might replace Bruce Wayne, but you're going to bring him back. I mean, look, we talk, we talk about this all the time with Wally West. We're not going to get into Wally West rants right here. We can't do that every show. But again, the same <laughs> thing, right? You know, if they can replace Wally as easily as they did after he was 
Flash for what, like 20 fucking years or something like that? It was something ridiculous. And, and then replacing the brain, just to bring back Barry, it's that illusion of change at any time that can happen. So, and, and I think that it was important to see that Claremont saw what the, pro, what the real problems of bringing Gene back. Yeah, you brought Gene back. You, you, you brought books back. But now you've taken Scott, who is supposed to be the Boy Scout and this noble hero. And honestly, he's a piece of shit when you read these X-Men books. Yo, he's a piece of shit. He's also a shit ton more interesting now. Hmm? He's huh? a shit ton more interesting. And, and that's the flip side of that, right? Because now you can... You can and, and I think that's because of the way that... And this goes back to what I was saying with, uh, with Simonson writing. Between Simonson writing, writing X-Factor and then you had uh, Claremont writing uh, X-Men, you can find ways where they were having these communications and talking about... All right, like during Mutant Massacre where you never really have X-Factor and the X-Men cross. They're in the tunnel at the same time, but they never... They never actually see you each get, other. You get the wall coming down where they can't get to each other. They can't get to each other. Like, and, and enough, you, enough plot contrivances to make it realistic. Right. But also, that's kind of I like. That's one of the things I like about '80s events is that they wouldn't necessarily see each other. This is a big. That makes it feel like a bigger event. Well, not only that, but I think it also fix, 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 fits up fixes some of the things you see with some of the event issues we have today. Where uh, and, and I even did it this time. I was like, I wonder what happens if I only read the uncanny books for uh, Mutant Massacre. If I don't read the X-Factor ones, I know what happened in them, but let's say I don't read them. And I was like, I can actually almost get away with it. It's not that bad because the teams don't know about each other. They, they know about each other, but they don't see each other and they don't really interact that way. So you have this crossover event, but it's not really a crossover because it's each kind of contained in their own little books a little bit. And you get some moments like you get um, Wolverine catching the sin of Gene and then that carries over for several issues where every now and then he keeps wondering if his senses are going bad or something going on. And then he finally, he's, going crazy. he's going crazy, you know, and it's like, I thought I was going crazy. I love that woman. And I started catching her scent. I thought I couldn't trust my senses, you know, so you have all these things going in here that lead to the bigger moment that all lead to Inferno, where you basically then bring X, X Factor and the X-Men back to get, uh, together. And, and it's another thing where you keep them apart, because like, as a reader, you're aware of these two people circling. As a reader, you're aware of the X-Men don't know who X Factor is and don't trust them. So you're kind of like, how do you make it pay off more? You, you, make, it, you make them wait longer for the reading. And so once and, Inferno hits, you're literally like leaping off the page to see these two people, two teams interacting with. And the other thing too about this, and again, we'll, we'll get into more detail later in a minute, guys, but I just want to Put this other point about how when you separate these all, it also changes your perception of certain characters if you're only reading one of the books. So if you only read the X books, Scott, and I'm not saying Scott, it's not a, a huge piece of shit if you read both. But on the X-Men side, if you never read the X-Factor books, when Madeline gets shot, you never you never hear about Scott trying to trying to find her. Right. And so you're like, yo, he really abandoned them. And then the X-Men thing, the same thing, you're like. Scott, you're a piece of shit. You never abandoned it. And he's like, no, I tried to find them and I couldn't. And you only get that if you're on the X Factor side. So it's like you get these two sides where you get it, it also kind of plays with your own perception as a reader. Because if you're not getting both, you're like, oh shit. Like, fuck this motherfucker. Like, you know? And you and you start seeing diff- different things happening there. So um, so that's I, I really I really enjoyed that, but yeah, that's the big thing that that happened there that kind of then shapes 
uh, the rest of this, this 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 section of the run right here. Because in a way, you know, Claremont's like, well, what am I going to do with Madeline now? Poor Madeline, who just had a baby, you know, whose husband, when you come, when 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 Scott shows up in issue two hundred one, is almost like distracted and doesn't really want to be around her, and she's like but I missed you. Like we had a child. I had a child on the cold floor when you weren't around. Like, what are you doing? Here's your son. And, um, you kind of get set up in, in two Oh one with uh storm kind of challenging. Well, storm and Cyclops battling for leaders of the X-Men. And again, storm doesn't have her powers. And she uses the fact that she uses the fact that Scott is very distracted. Mm-hmm. He's not, his mind is not in the game. His mind is, is is thinking about other things, and he's not fit to be leadership. It doesn't mean that he can't be a leader, but at that moment, he has other things on his mind. Like you said, this was also Claremont setting up for Scott to move on and retire because the team at that point kind of doesn't need him. And it's so interesting because this is one of the moments where Claremont got to refocus on the school as a fucking school. Mm-hmm. Kitty Pride worrying about turn paper, Cannonball getting mad because his paper got erased. Like, yeah, cool again. Right, right. Um, and it's also got to remember at this point now, Magneto is headmaster of the school, which now allows that. So that piece will cover in Newman Part Two with his uh, Magneto as as head of the the, uh, the school and doing the uh, Newman stuff. And then you have Storm now as leader of the X Men after defeating um, uh, uh, Cyclops in the Danger Room. Um and uh, he Not goes just beating him, whipping his ass in front to, of everyone. I'm trying to be nice about it. Yeah, well. yeah, and, and and I love the the other thing too is you set up the the, the the small friendships that you set up. You you we've been setting up this time the entire time the relationship and friendship between Storm and and Logan. I believe it's Logan that was like everybody's like oh, Storm Storm versus uh, Cyclops. She didn't have her powers, and and, and, and Logan's like yeah, my money's on Storm. Yeah, yeah, come on. Like she's she's she she is more than physically capable of this and it shows you this. She's nimble, she's fast. She, you know, she can she um uh, she she and, and then she manipulates Cyclops into bad situations because he also knows that Cyclops is not mentally there. And you're right. Whoops his ass. <laughs> and yeah. um this is the second time that uh Storm's kind of put uh Put hands on people. Uh, <laughs> first one was uh, Callisto, and and yeah. you can think it's nice that she doesn't have her powers. You can think you you got a problem. I almost want to say like she like you 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 read some of these issues sometimes and you forget that Storm doesn't have her powers because like she's like in the thick of things and you're just like until she says it to you. She's like oh, right. by the way, right, <laughs> right, right. Oh yeah, by the way, I've you know I almost didn't have my powers and and stuff like that. Like there's one time when. It's later on when she's gonna go find four to get her powers back, and she asks, uh, she quote unquote asks Logan to lead the team in her absence. And he's like, "Listen, lady, I got some things I got to work on myself." And she basically hems him up. And I'm just like, and Logan's like, oh, "Fine, I'll go grab my hat. <laughs> fine, I'll do it, mom." Um, but yeah, it's and I think it's it's really interesting seeing those issues go and seeing how. Um, again, she's struggling at being a leader, but not because she's, it's, it's too much for her, but just the weight of her decisions on and, and making these choices. And I think you get a really good, it's a really good contrast between 
some of the, the it's not the same worrying that Cyclops had. Because you read this issue, you always get Cyclops the same way of worrying if he's pushing people too hard and worrying about that. It's a different kind of worrying, and and it was it's an interesting contrast to see the way Cyclops leads and the way uh, Storm leads in that. Um, but she's it should tell you about how much of a, a leader she is. The fact that she doesn't have a she doesn't have her powers, and yet and still everybody's still like, yeah, uh, but yeah, you're the leader. You're in charge, <laughs> you know, and nobody really questions it. So, mm-hmm. um, let's see. So there's some there's some small uh like like character building issues in between. Do you want to start with Rachel? Yes, that's right. Let's do some Rachel stuff. Let's do the Beyonder stuff because uh, you, you mentioned it before. So right after, like you said, uh, Scott leaves, Storm's leader, no powers, which in and of itself is pretty cool. Someone who's running the mutants doesn't have any powers. Well. We finally get the spotlight shined on Rachel Summers. And you say your name, Rachel Summers. I think she came up last. Uh, did she come up last podcast at all? No. Uh, uh, yeah, we, she actually did. She's come up. She's come up the last two because we mentioned her in Days of Future Past, and then we mentioned mm-hmm. her again when she showed up at the the school with the New Mutants right up uh, right before Demon the Demon Bear Saga. Right. So now she's finally kind of made her way home. She's an X Man now, and. Her arrival overlaps with the departure of Cyclops to the point where she actively avoids it. Because she's now in a reality in a past where she doesn't exist. Her mother's dead. Her father's leaving the X-Men. She's truly a woman outside of time. But when faced with the Beyonder, we get all this evolution in such a short amount of time for Rachel Summers. Mm-hmm. She goes from someone who can't carry plates to having a portion of the Phoenix Force awakening within her. Right. And you mentioned the issue with the Beyonder. Like, there's an issue where she, it's Secret Wars 2, which everyone kind of, eh, they're less, I get it. Secret Wars 2, anything with a 2, you got to be a little wary of it. But for all the hubbub around that event, this is the issue that meant that convince me of the Beyonder's power when he gives her the Phoenix Force and then says, you can either kill me right now or you can save the X-Men. And intersplicing her choice with her past with watching the X-Men die in front of her before mm-hmm. she's into the past. Mm-hmm. It was just really evocative. And then you think back and you're like, wow, this is one guy writing for 10 years. And at no point does this bigger idea of what this has to be supersede who these people are, because that's, and I think I've said this probably every Claremont podcast, but I'm going to say to the next two, this is a book about people with occasional action scenes. And it's never more true than the issue, because the issue is about them fighting the Sentinels. But we watch Magneto and Logan find some sort of common ground. We get all the explanations of Kitty's powers of how she has to bring Colossus back up before he can suffocate in the, in the earth as well as he could outside the land. Didn't know if he grabbed a breath. Like, there's just so many different ways. And then the ingenious ways they took down the signals that were rapidly adapting their powers. Right. It's just, it's like, even Storm with the Blackbird, when she says, Rachel, go save the others, I got this one. Right. But she has no powers. This Blackbird has no gun. Right. <laughs> right. It, again, just, that was one of those ones I was like, 
What do you mean you got this? Like you know, let's see, oh, and she did it. Right, and she did. She it's, did. It's just wild. And then like I don't know, let's I guess we can go straight to the music massacre. It's just the the whole thing. Well the issues that we're not covering are so ripe with character building and storytelling and like planting of seeds that I'm remiss to say let's move to the music massacre. Right. Well, and, well, and right before then, to, the, the, to, to kind of take Rachel off the board a little bit, is she uh, eventually kind of goes almost overboard, trying to almost killing Celine, and um, Logan, you know, has to stop her. Put yeah. it nicely. And it's crazy because you get that speech from Logan: "We're not murderers; we're heroes. If I kill someone, I'm doing what I do. That's one thing. Right. And now, when you read in 2019 that he's still like." Fighting with this shit, like no, 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 no. Claremont yeah. solved that motherfucker with his miniseries when he made him a samurai. Yeah, yeah. You can backslide him all you want. I've got the proof. Right, right. So, so the idea of schism, where Logan, the teacher, wants to protect other people from doing harm, it's not. It is incongruous with how people largely see the character. It's not incongruous with his history. Well, that's also, so we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I want to also go in, I, I mentioned this a lot, there's a lot of times when there's some backsliding for certain characters, but largely there are some characters that have made some big growth. I'm quickly going to mention Magneto here. After, he's never really the same Magneto you think of after the fall of Genosha. He's a kind of a broken man. There's some, there's some, some backsliding here and there, but for the most part, that man just survived another a second massacre. Mm-hmm. Second He's not genocide. A second genocide. He's not the same man, and you wouldn't expect that. And I, and I think that's something that I think when you look at the run of Claremont, right? Claremont run. He started what ninety four, the ninety four uh, issue ninety four. I believe so. He's like issue ninety four, all the way to like. 279 or 280 or something like that. When you give a writer that many issues and that many years to tell these stories, and I think that's another piece, not to get on our soapbox here, but I think that's another piece that's stopping that kind of change here. When you when you give a writer, a one writer that much time to make a character change, you have to. Like, look at what just happened with uh, Jason Aaron and Thor, right? There's no way that you, are, you weren't going to have some kind of shift with Thor after giving Jason Aaron that, that long of a run for it. And I, ex- I fully expect at some point down the line, somebody's going to try to backslide Thor or something like that. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. And I'm not going to be happy about it when it does. Because you've given a writer this long time to tell his story. Let's tell the next story. You can use that character. But you got, like, like, like Claremont said when he was talking about what he was, his original plans were for Scott or for other X Men, it's like, yeah, should Nightcrawler always be on the X Men? Is Kitty like again? Think, and if you think about Kitty, you have had some growth there. Like Kitty went from being the young schoolgirl who was fighting to not be on a new mutant because I am an X Men, even though the you know I am the youngest member to then going and leading the X Men herself, right? Right. So you've had a, a little growth there, but like what what comes next after that? And at some point, it does come down to retirement. It does come down to that. There's a reason why as we go through these issues. You get, and that's why one of the things that did bother me a lot about the X-Men Fox movies was, you know, after a while, you don't hear a lot of, you might hear about their visions and their, their, their ideas, but you don't hear a lot about Magneto and, and, and Charles Xavier because they're off the board. They're still, they're, they're, their themes of them or what they're talking about are, are, are lived on by, by other characters, but 
there's so much other stuff going on, and all these characters on their own are have their own interesting stories. There's an interesting there, there's there's an interesting dynamics between these characters and what their motivations are and what their their beliefs are. Like we said, we were talking about with Rachel and we we're talking about with Logan, and Logan's like, yeah, I know I kill, but some of y'all shouldn't. That's not that's not what this is about. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not flat out here just murdering people, right? That's not what this is about. If we go toe to toe, head to head, and one of us, one of us, you know, dies after that, that's one thing. But she was like, "Yo, this one wasn't doing anything to you. You just went out and tried to you, murder you her. You hunted this woman. Yeah, you hunted her down. You know. So, nah, that's not how we do. That's not how the X Men do it. So, yeah, I thought that was, um, yeah, I thought that was very, very uh, interesting there. <sighs> and then we get to meet and massacre. You got it. You explain it. I mean, what's there to explain other than the slaughter of the Morlocks <laughs> by the Marauders? Um, and we don't actually even know why at the time the Marauders are doing that. Yeah, uh, at the time we don't know. We know. We know now. We know now. Right, 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 right. And I know. Do we want to kind of go into the later on explanation? Because it's kinda... let's talk about it first. I'll explain. I'll give the backstory on the okay. later. So what ends up happening is. Um, one of the Morlocks is attacked with her. I think I can't remember if it's a non-mutant boyfriend or if it's a mutant boyfriend. Um, and he's, he's um a guard at the Hellfire Club. Okay, guard. Yeah, that's right. So guard at the Hellfire Club. They're attacked by was it Scalp Hunter? Oh, all of them, but yeah, all Scalp Hunter just shot him. Yeah, Scalp Hunter shot him, and they're using the other Morlock to track back down to the tunnels where the Morlocks are. And this is a group called the Marauders: so Scrambler, Arclight. Scalp Hunter, Vertigo, Sabertooth, Harpoon, and I think Malice is with them, but not when no, she's already... She Mal- was with um, Dazzle at that time. Okay. Okay. Um, and so they're called the Marauders, and uh, they go through there, and they're wiping out the Morlocks. You say that so kindly. They're Massacre, and, and not It's to, called Mutant Massacre for a reason. But it's not like, oh, there was a fight and the Morlocks lost. They're walking through and murdering men, women, and defenseless children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, was it Calaman that ended up showing? Which which Morlock showed up at the X-Men? I forget his name, but it's a a large Morlock who could tunnel to the ground. Right. And he shows up to get help from the X-Men. And so the X-Men and Storm rush to... um, rush to 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 go see what's going on and try to save the morlocks also x x factor shows up and thor is there too because this yeah. book this 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 uh mutant master does cross over with the thor book um let's just put it this way um the x-men and x factor pretty much get their asses handed to them uh, pretty much colossus gets frozen um kitty gets stuck phasing nightcrawler's maimed Angel loses his goddamn wings. Yeah, after being crucified, he gets crucified. This, this leads so, and th- these are consequences that come from this. Like, so Warren gets crucified and pinned, I think, by a harpoon. Yes. Um, there, and you is is that classic image of 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 a crucified angel. So I think when the X Men show up, they see Angel literally crucified there. I don't think X Men ever see him. Oh, so maybe it's X Factor. I'm sorry, I keep getting right. those confused. Um, this leads to X Factor is the original, X-Men right? Stuff. Exactly. So this 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 leads to this leads to um. Later on, you know, and this happens in the X Factor books. I think we covered a little bit about this, but this is what leads to Warren's wings being amputated later on, and then literally sets him up 
for Apocalypse and turning into an Archangel. Like, this is the start of where you get, like, a lot of these these big these big crossovers we're about to deal with these three big crossovers have some significant uh, ramifications. Even if the issues themselves have some things, you're like, oh, okay, that seems like a big thing. Later on, they're like, this is huge. This is how you get Archangel because of this. Um, the X Men and X Factor were not prepared whatsoever. Um, they didn't know. It's so yeah. funny because, like, I guess Kitty comments that she once visited a, uh, a relative who works in a slaughterhouse, and that's what it smelled like. Like, they're very graphic. It's not like graphic artwork, but it's very the right. language used is very, and very in, um, illustrative of what's actually happening. The 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 the, the moral for, for all intents and purposes wiped out. This also leads, I think, uh, a camera with the character was end up becoming plague. This leads to Caliban going to mm-hmm. Apocalypse. Like this, this scatters the Morlocks. This this ruins them. This no, it this, almost breaks Storm. Yeah, th- again, this is another one where breaking Storm. Storm was Storm was like I was. Le- I was supposed to be here. I should have been here for them. This was this was my this is my duty, and I fucked up. Like this is, and this sets up. The Marauders now becoming because before it was like the Hellfire Club, maybe the Brother Even Mutants. The Marauders from now on become the big um, team villain group of team villains that the X Men are going to deal with up from this point on through Inferno. Um, the Marauders are that group because you know the X Men are never going to forget one what they did to the, the the Morlocks, but also what they did to them. Again, you now get. Colossus and Nightcrawler and, and Kitty off the board for almost majority of these uh, next few issues. You know, I think Nightcrawler stays in a coma um, all the way through, I want to say, um, Fall of the Mutants. And I want to say that then leads into them joining when they form Excalibur. Excalibur. And you it's know? so cool because, yes, it's a great way to, it's a good way to show the effects of the Marauders. It's also a great way to, to rotate your cast. Oh, absolutely a great way to rotate your cast. You know? You now have to bring in new new characters. You now have to uh, bring in new situations. Um, at this point, I believe they've already... Um, Elizabeth Broderick, so Betty, has already kind of joined them. And this is the pre-Asian turned Betty. Um, but, she, but there are hints there. Because yeah. she's been rescued from the body shop where Spiral had her. She has these cybernetic eyes. And she says, I wish that I could... People wouldn't see me as this frail thing. I could be the tiger. I feel like I am inside. Mm-hmm. And as we start seeing her get more aggressive with the telepathy and eventually kind of foreshadowing the bodily swap that would happen after the fall of mutants. Right. So the Mune Massacre, uh, this is also when you get your first mentions of uh, Mr. Senator. So mm-hmm. you get the first mention of him, I think, in 212, I believe, when in 213, which is a fight when uh, Sabretooth shows up at the X Mansion. And um, Betty has to take him on, and then there's a fight between him and Wolverine. She's able to pull out the the shadowy image of Mister Sinister. You do not get a full appearance of Mister Sinister until like eight issues later. Two twenty one. Yeah, two twenty one. Um, but you kind of get this. Which, main... which, for the record, is eight months of right. no previews, no no internet rumors, no message boards, no CBR, no new drama, none of it. Yeah. No so, interviews where he's lamp what he's going to do. Yep. You have no idea. 
You have no idea who the shadowy figure is. Um, <clears throat> again, go listen to our Sinister Character Corner. I'll give you more information on that, on, on how they decided to come up with this character. Uh, you can also go and read the classic X-Men uh, 40 and 41 that tells a little bit about the backstory of Sinister and the, and the orphanage with... Um, with, with, with Scott, Scott. and kind of fleshes that out a little bit more. But like you said, up to this point, we just know that the Marauders came in, and for some reason, they... And, and, and here's the great thing. By using somebody like Sabretooth, you actually don't... Like, you know maybe, okay, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, you know, you don't, you're not thinking that it's somebody like Senator. You're thinking maybe it's got to be some anti-mutant hate group that hired Sabretooth to... Or maybe Sabretooth did it to himself because he's... He's a bloodthirsty sociopath. Like, yeah, and he is. And he, and he is. <laughs> not wrong there. Um, and so are the rest of the Marauders. And so you kind of don't think of, think too much about who this shadowy figure is. Because you got to remember, on the other side, on, on the X-Factor side, if you're reading that, you got Cameron Hodge over there. <laughs> who is... Yeah, I also love that. Let's just talk about the Marauders for two seconds. Yeah. The fact that the woman's the heavy, arc lights the, 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 the yeah. muscle. Love it. Um, there is... I don't know if it's still on the internet. There was... A fan fiction called Devil's Do. It takes place after um, the Onslaught Saga, but it's essentially the Marauders taking a second crack at the X Men and killing all of them. Mm. It is fucking brutal. Uh, I think it's called Devil's Do. Don't quote me on that. It's 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 one of those things that it's it stuck with me. It's enough for me to bring up on this show. Listen, what the, because what, if you remember in Meat Massacre, the X Men get the drop on them. They're not expecting the X Men, and they still whip their asses. Right, right, right. <laughs> so this is a story like if they planned for the X Men, like they knew Quicksilver was part of the X Men. So at one point, they set up a um, monofilament wire around where they're boxing him in, and they just draw and quarter Quicksilver by running him through it. Oh man, yeah, yeah. yeah. You you think of the Marauders, you're like, oh man, the X Men take the Marauders, but then you, you read this, you're like. Oh wait, the X Men, and and it's well, not just that. Like disappearance, it's revealed that they have clones. That they are kind of, which is another huge sinister. God damn, I love this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you later figure out when you when when as you go on, you start figuring out the the the, the stuff with the Marauders and what's going on with them. It becomes even more sinister. Like I hate to say, it, ironically, more, like you said, more sinister. Uh, yeah. Like remember, this is what uh, if you read that Magneto book. Because remember, Magneto finds the clones of the Marauders and uses them as cannon fodder <laughs> to to get to do his bidding because that's literally mm-hmm. what they're set up for. All these clones of the Marauders and stuff like that. Like it's like yeah, the, you 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 kind of look at them. And you're like, oh man, these these are nobodies. But you know, later on, you, they bring in Malice and Malice takes over Polaris's body. You know, like yeah. the Marauders are actually. A fucking pretty fucking, problem. and then every time that, and there are constant there are constant presence here. And every time, like the X Men are, they run. They 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 run. There there is not an easy. It's not a. It's never an easy fight with them. And when you get to so when you get to Inferno, and 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 Madeline's like you know is 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 gonna use these spells to get the X Men to basically kill the Marauders and get revenge on them. You, you, I love the way they draw the. We'll get to that later on, but yeah, it's yeah. it. It all adds up, and again, that's thirty issues later. You know, so this is something that happens over a thirty issue period. We're like, I totally get it, and, and I think what you mentioned before about there not being any forms or not being any any ways of hinting at these books. I, I'm I'm sorry, I missed that. It's, I think I'm going to the idea. Of I'm not reading. I, I I've been so busy. I haven't been reading. 
any interviews or any any preview pages of any of the the books that I, I'm reading. It's better if you don't do that. I don't need that stuff. I don't want it. It's it's so much better because you you can see the story unfold the way it's supposed to unfold, and it just I don't know. I'm 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 a fan. I'm always gonna be a fan. So, um, so at the end of the mutant massacre, the X Men are. I mean, who's left? <laughs> you have some who are left, but you still get. There. You're still dealing with some internal struggles there. You get the Dazzler uh, and Rogue thing that happened between 214 and 219, where Dazzler's not a fan of Rogue. There are a lot of people that are not a fan of Rogue. <laughs> yeah. um, but they later on, when they end up taking the Marauders again, um, because. So I'm trying to think of what it was. I think it was. Where was it? So before the mutant massacre actually happened, I believe. One of say it was like two issue two oh six or something like that. And I think this is when. Where is this? Yes, this is around the the time when the the X Men were taken on. I think they had taken on either a little bit of Freedom Force or they had taken on, um, the Sentinels or something like that. You you find out that Madeline's been sent to the hospital, and you don't know why she's she's been sent to the hospital with a gunshot, and you don't know what happened. You find out later on. Again, this is I, I just got to give credit to the, to the way this stuff was written because things get thrown around and they happen, and it, it feels like so much like a 2018 and 2019 thing where something happens. And you don't think much about it because something else is going on, and then it comes back later on, six issues later. And so in issue 215, you find out what happened. Scalp Hunter and Arclight had attacked Madeline. Um, and they took Nathan. Um, but you don't know why the Marauders had attacked Madeline and taken Nathan. Um, she gets taken to the hospital. Uh, they, like, and, and all, everything about her has been erased. Like, her name... Like, driver, everything about Madeline's been erased, and so they admit her into the hospital as Jane Doe. Um, the X-Men, so between 214 and 219, um, the X-Men are kind of uh, find out that uh, Madeline's in the hospital, They and they find out that the, the Marauders are actually going to go to kind of finish the job. And I think this is also... Um, it's when Storm leaves, too. Right, it's around storm. Yeah, you're right. So this is around the beginning of Fall of the Mutants. So between 2:20 and 2:27 is the Fall of the Mutants crossover. And so for for this, you can really kind of segment this off. Fall of the Mutants is technically a crossover, even though it individually happens to each group. So the New Mutants have their own Fall of the Mutants stuff that's kind of related, but you can kind of read it separately, and we'll deal with that in yeah. New Mutants Part Two. So in this one, what happens? And I want to say it's two twenty. Storm hands the team. This is the thing I was talking about before. Storm hands the team over to Logan. And says, "I, you know, she's had some of these, you know, moments of herself. She's like, I'm gonna go get my power. I, I need to go talk to Forge. He created the weapon that took my powers. Uh, I'm gonna go confront Forge and have him create something to give me my powers back." Well, well, as we revealed last time, Forge said he thought he could. But she left because she was so mad at him for taking away in the first place. Right. Well, because it, it, not that he had taken away because he, he wasn't. It wasn't like they created a weapon to take away Storm's powers. I think he was aiming at Rogue, but right. he never admitted to her while he was helping her recover. He never admitted to her that he was the one that created the weapon. Right. Um, and 
We never, you know, we never did get, go a little bit into Forge. But Forge, Native American character, uh, known as the Maker, can pretty much make anything. <laughs> it's interesting. So, in reading some of the back matter of House and Powers of Ten, it's been kind of nice to see them kind of redefine Forge powers. Yes, he can make anything he can imagine, but he's also limited to things he can imagine. True. So, almost like a not powering powering. It's it's super weird because like. <laughs> Yes, he is. He can imagine anything he imagine he can build, but he needs the, the time resources to figure out and build it. Meanwhile, someone who's just naturally gifted, like a Tony Stark or Reed Richards, could probably build the same thing faster. True. Yeah. But it's his. It's a natural ability to do so. It's it's interesting, and it makes you question what's a mutant. Yeah. Because if someone that smart who can do it already, isn't that kind of a mutant? Mm-hmm. Isn't that a mutation? So I, I thought I thought that, and then some of like the background conversations that happen. I know we're going to keep pushing forward, but throughout the series of these are superheroes. No, they can't be. They're mutants. What's the difference? And like that kind of like even that like being sprinkled in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like when Alex comes back and he finds that Avengers Mansion has been totaled and no one really gives a shit. Yeah. Like oh, by the way, yeah, Havoc's back in this motherfucker. Yes, my favorite X Men. Next question. <laughs> um. The other thing too here is at this point the X Men are kind of also kind of on the run as outlaws. So I mentioned it before, Freedom Force. Freedom Force is this government sanctioned uh, a government sanctioned group of basically villains <laughs> put together it's by the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, huh? On a payroll, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants on a payroll. Yeah, yeah, led by Mystique. Um, yeah, Mystique and Destiny. Uh, I think run, run, run by uh, Val Cooper. They've got Pyro, Avalanche, Blob. It's all a problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, but their first their assignment is to bring in the X Men um, because the X Men are considered outlaws. And there's this whole thing about the Mutant Registration Act and all this other stuff in the background. Remember, this is this is way before the Superhero Registration Act stuff. So we are already seeing this stuff happening in these X books here. Um, so Fall of the Mutants has several different things that con- that, that that are happening. They end up coming together. The, 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 the first part is Storm going off to find Forge to get her power back. And we'll deal with that in a second. <clears throat> the second thing is um, Wolverine uh, and the X-Men going to go save Madeline and take on, they're going to be in take, end up taking on the Marauders again. And the third thing is Destiny, because you got to remember, you know, even though she's a bad, bad, a, a, a villain, Mystique is the, you know, foster mother, if you will, of Rogue. She's basically Rogue's mother. Right. And so when Destiny tells, Ro- uh, tells Mystique that, hey, the, I, you know, I don't see the future for the X-Men. That means they die after they enter this building, I think, in Detroit. Mystique's like, well, I got to save my daughter and let her know that, hey. Whatever you guys are doing, you guys can't be. I can't remember if it was Detroit or Texas. I think maybe it was Texas. You you guys can't be here. It was Dallas. Dallas. There we go. It was Dallas. Yeah, that's that's where Forge forges. Um, and uh, so you have these three things happening. So um, let's we'll do the rogue and Forge thing later because that's actually kind of what leads to the the, the very end. We we'll talk first about um again the X Men coming to try to take on the Marauders for take two. Once again, they do the best they can, but still. Just not good enough. Well, also this time, Malice is now, this is when Malice has control of Pol- uh, Polaris. 
So now they're also, you know... Which is a huge fucking problem. Yeah, because Polaris is, you know... Ridiculously powerful. Yeah, ridiculously powerful. But you also now have Alex having to take on... Were they married at this point, or were they just... No, dating? they've never been married. Never they're, they, dating. They've left the X-Men to move west to kind of right. just live out there, and they got their degrees. It was all this kind of very peaceful like retirement from the life type thing. Right. It's interesting because when Alex says, you know, the X-Men has been the center of my brother's life and not mine, it's very true. He was originally, <clears throat> excuse me, brought in almost as a part-time X-Men, but leaves after Caracoa. Mm-hmm. And so since Caracoa, since this run started, he's just been ghost. Alex and Lorna have been not on the screen. And now... They found a way to bring them back, and in such a way that it's not just, oh, they're happening in the backyard, they're just happening to be here. No, no, no. It's a problem because Polaris is a problem. Yeah. And, having, and it's coming back. The question gets asked more than once by, by um, Aurora, by Logan, does he have what it takes to be a full-time X-Men? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a level of sacrifice to being an X-Men. There's a level... It's interesting, and we see it. Like when, uh, when, when Kitty gets uh, stabbed by Harpoon and almost and can't recorporealize, Storm says it's better to fall in combat as an X-Man than, you know, than, than have someone else die on your, on your watch. Yeah. It's, it's, these are very good stories, very long stories, very character-driven stories. They're also like straight-up hero stories. Mm-hmm. Your heroes are heroes. Yeah. The... Um... The, the thing about this, so we also have Longshot, who has joined the team. Not really joined the team, but he's kind of almost like a hanger on. He kind of showed up. He kind of showed up and just hanging on there, just around. <laughs> drives Logan crazy. <laughs> I feel like there always has to be a young person that drives Logan crazy, crazy to the team. It's, go, it's got to be one. Got to mm-hmm. be one. The interesting thing about this fight with the Marauders is, for the, the, the X-Men almost have him. But then again, Polaris shows up. And, it just, and Alex realizes who she is. Right. You know, and um, that causes a problem. He does try to stop her. He makes the decision that if uh, that he has to stop her, and if he got to, you know, use full force of his power to kill her, he will. But she just throws a shield up and laughs at him. Malice laughs at him. And goes, huh? At least you tried. You failed. You failed to kill me. What matters is you tried. Right. Like, like is that that Bart Simpson? At least you tried, Kate. It's exactly like, that. Yeah, it's just, like you tried to right. kill the woman you love, motherfucker. So once again, the X Men are le- the Marauders escape, leaving the X Men to lick their wounds. This time, at least they nobody died. At least on the X Men side, and I don't even think they mm-hmm. died. Anybody? They didn't bring that up too. That nobody died in the hospital. They, uh, but again, gives Val Cooper more ex- example of see the X Men are terrible. You need to stop them with Freedom Force. Um, but they do save Madeline. Um, and I think that's another uh, key important thing here that this team, as far as they know, they don't know where Scott is and they're taking care of Madeline is she's family. She's their former leader's wife and she's missing her son and they're going to take care of her because that's who they are. And, and same thing with Alex of that's my husband's wife. Um, of course, it doesn't last long when he sleeps with her, mm. Vader. You know, but I mean, shit happens. Things, right? Mistakes were made. Were they mistakes though? Just things happened. Things happen. I mean, you know. So, but whatever. But you know, it's important to realize that this team bonds around Madeline and sees her as part of the X Men, part of that team. So let's go over to what's happening with Storm and and Forge. 
Um, I love the issue. I want to say it's either, it might be the rest of 220 where Storm is actually entering into the area. And again, once again, you're just, you just see how nimble and capable Storm is because the defenses are still on and she's able to pretty much navigate them. <laughs> pretty much walk through them. Yeah, without her powers. And it's ridiculous. Um, Forge's mentor is there. What, how do you say his name? Um, I'm not going to butcher it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. His mentor is there. Uh, and he convinced, now you always have this bad feeling about this guy. Uh, he convinces Storm that they need to stop Forge because Forge is, is, uh, his, his destiny was to be the, um, person that closes the gap between this world and this villain called the adversary. And, um, he's like, Forge has been corrupted and he's trying to open that open the portal between the two worlds. And so uh, he's convincing Storm that you need to um, you need to help me stop Forge. We need to go and we need to go and do that. Um, and so uh, they go on to and, and again the entire time like you know a con job when you see one. Yes. <laughs> I mean it's it's one of those things, like, you, you see the con, you see the long con, you see the, okay, this, not to mention, I kind of wish they, they hadn't done it, but this is, uh, they, they, they have that thing where he just kind of smirks and they, with the evil grin at the camera. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, can you guys not write, uh, draw those there? Because it's, it's, it's making it so that I can, yeah, I can tell that he's, hmm. yeah, that's, no, don't. It's very obvious that uh, you're not you're not being serious here. Um, so what ends up happening is when Storm confronts Forge before he can tell her that he's actually trying to close the portal, not open it. She stabs him because at this point she's been kind of led to believe that that this is what Forge has done. Because again, remember she still also still has that pent up anger inside of her for you know not telling her that he created the gun that took her weapon, her, her powers. Right. Um, and so, yeah, she goes along and um, stabs him. And before they realize that they've been, been had, they kind of fall off. Um, fall off a cliff, and they fall into this other world um, that's separated from the world that we're in. Uh, and the adversary, uh, basically comes out and, um, it gets kind of weird. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like showing different times. Um, like he, he's, he takes over, like, so again, Forge Mentor was, uh, Naze. And, uh, he was, he, the adversary killed, killed him and taken over, possessed his body and it's just kind of hard to explain, but like what's happening in uh, above uh, Forge's Dallas area is you start seeing different things from different times. Like you get like dinosaurs, you get cavemen, you get uh, soldiers from Vietnam, you get uh, cowboys and Native Americans. Like it opened up this other this other dimension 
uh, in there, uh, and the X Men ended up having to form a, an alliance with Freedom Force to kind of like stop this and close this. And they decide that the best way to do this is to go into the building and get to the top of the area and kind of stop whatever's there. But this is also when Destiny is like, hey, that's where I saw you guys die. So right. there's this great moment because, again, up to this point, the X-Men have been almost like not public enemy number one, but this is this whole like thing where the world is turning against the X-Men. There's a, um, there is a, what's his name? Um, there's a, there's a, there's a journalist. I can't remember where the, the reporters, reporters, Neil Conan and Manola, uh, Weatherall is the cameraman, I believe. And, the cameraman's like pro X Men. He's like, no, they're heroes. We need to show them the right. heroes. And the, the reporter's like, no, they're fucking criminals. We're not saying fucking, but they're, they're criminals, and we're gonna show them this. And the cameraman's like, no, I believe them. I believe that you know that they they're doing good. And so the X Men in front of the cameras basically made the decision that we're gonna go and we're gonna stop this. We're probably gonna die. And it's a really great speech where you have this moment where you see the X Men making the 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 choice to go in and sacrifice their lives to save everyone and it's caught on camera publicly loudly in front of everybody right um again this is way too complicated to explain and i know we are we're we are really just go we're broad stroking this one we got a broad stroke this one because it it's it's out there it's Long, a lot weirder than we're making it sound and i think it sounds pretty fucking weird yeah it's way weirder it's way weirder Long story short, the X-Men end up confronting the adversary um, in order to have uh, to, to send him back through the other dimension. They give up their life force to help uh, power Forge's spell to push him through the edge. And so, you know what this reminded me of, kind of? What? Demon Bear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it makes sense, right? Same. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, but it almost felt like like New Mutants was the test kitchen. Like, how weird can we get? Oh, absolutely. And then oh, everyone holds on. Like, fuck it, we can get super weird because oh, you know Inferno's coming. Oh, this this is absolutely this is absolutely like you said, like like just like Demon Bear. Um, and so the X Men literally die. Those X Men die. Um, Roma, the guardian of like not the galaxy, but we'll see. Like the guard, the guardian of reality is touched by their sacrifice because she was also being held by the adversary and decides to bring the X-Men back and basically gives them a choice of, hey, I can bring you back and let everybody know you're sacrificed or you can kind of bring you back and, you know, you know, oh, she was actually, I can bring you back and, and give you, put you in that other dimension where you guys can live your life, don't have to worry about any of this stuff, or I can just bring you back and you guys just hide out and pretend like you, you, everybody thinks you're dead. And so they decided to come back with their X-Men um, and everybody just thinks the X-Men are dead. So once again, we're down to the point where everyone thinks the X-Men are dead. So this, to, to go on the flip side of this, to kind of see from the X-Factor side, when you, know, you see that Scott has kind of just abandoned his wife, at this point, once again, he thinks she's dead. Because he watches her die. He yeah, watched her, yeah, he, yeah. He, he watched her die. Because Madeline, even though she doesn't have powers, she goes with um, she goes with the X-Men. Like she's basically, because at this point, um, Spiral had basically put, uh, stuck, uh, whose mask does he stick on, on, uh, Betty's on face? Betty? No, it was on, it was on, it was on Betsy's face. 
wasn't it? Oh, I, I, I can't, yeah, I can't remember. So, so Maddie basically pretend is is Betsy's eyes, or no, it's a dazzler. It's on Dazzler's face. That's who it was. Yeah, she put she put the mask on Dazzler's face, and so uh, Maddie's Dazzler's uh, eyes. So when the X Men uh, agreed to give up their life force to uh, to forge to get the spell, the the cameraman. They're like, oh, yeah, well, no, he's him. We, we'll let the cameraman go. But he's like, and they're like, well, Maddie, too, she's not an X-Men. And they're like, oh, yeah, but we needed nine for this calculation. <laughs> because hmm. at, at one point, Storm's original plan was to kind of fake the X-Men's death. And it turns out that, oh, we, no, we actually have to, to die. Time to go. Yeah, we actually have to die. And they were like, well, Maddie doesn't have to die. She's not one of us. And she's like, well, one, I am one of you. And two, it's like the spell required nine, nine, nine bodies. So Maddie got to die, too. So Maddie dies as well. So from the from from Scott's point of view, he saw the goodbyes. Everybody saw the X Men basically say goodbye to everyone. So the fallout from Fall of the Mutants is everyone thinks the X Men are dead. And remember, this is them leaving people that they loved and they cared about. So Kitty sees the X Men sacrifice this, and at this point, Colossus had come back with that. So she sees her brother. Uh, um, she sees Kitty die. Uh, Eliana sees uh, her brother die. You know, and and, and sacrifice. And when the X-Men come back, they don't tell anybody that they've come back. Nope. Because now they're also undetectable by electronic means. Right. You can't videotape them. You yeah. can't track them on radar. Cannot track them at all. So, um, yeah. So, the X-Men kind of go, uh, literally go down there. <laughs> <laughs> they go and they take uh, the Reavers, uh, the pre-Donald Pierce Reavers, had taken the small um, ghost town in Australia. They had taken Gateway, uh, the mutant Gateway uh, hostage, and the X Men kind of liberate the the ghost town. And they uh, Gateway is now their teleporter for getting to and from where they're at. Um, and then, what issue is the first appearance of of Genosha? It's like thirty two thirty five. I want to make sure you get it right because it's at such a huge stage in the rest of the Marvel universe. Yeah, its first appearance was two thirty-five. Yes, sir. Yes. So on Kenny X Men, two thirty-five. Mm. So there's been there there in the background of all of this stuff, even in Fall of the Mutants, has always been this um, anti-mutant. Sentiments always. They don't shy away from the politicization of mutants in this reality at all. I mean, going back to the fall of mutants, there's the mutant registration act is a big deal happening around that point there with Senator uh, Senator Robert Kelly. You have there will be several issues where you have people calling people muties and 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 people being all against the mutants. And I want to say that. Elements of Gymnosia will pop up in the background of something. Like at one point, there was there was talk about there was like major religious leaders coming out. There was like a talk about a major religious leader coming out in favor of mutant rights and things like that because Genosha has set itself up, and, and it's important to kind of really let people know what Genosha is. Genosha is a honey trap. Mm-hmm. Genosha is a honey trap for mutants. It is set up. It's off, located off the coast of Africa, and it's set up to be this um, 
almost perfect society where, you know, mutants and humans uh, live in harmony together and come here and live here. Um, and again, if you are an X Men fan, you you hear the words. You you hear you hear. It sounds too good to be true for the X Men. Well, is that? But then you hear Genosha, and Genosha never is good. It's just no. it's never. We know that now. We I mean we know that now. Um, but the way that they set this up in in, in this book, and, and I want to say it's just like it's only like three issues, like two thirty five, two thirty six, and two thirty seven. Maybe a little bit two thirty eight. I think. Um. You get this idea of what Genosha really is. And, and the way that Genosha is able to have all this prosperity is it literally enslaves its mutant population. Um, but that's, that's not... That doesn't even give it the, the ickiness that it deserves. They are not just enslaving their genetic, their, their mutant population. They basically can consider anyone with a positive X gene who is a citizen of Genosha to be Genosha's property, which right. means you can then be genetically altered to fit the needs of the society. So they have, uh, they call it the gene engineer, who was David Moreau, who he, his, his whole thing was to create mutates, which was to strip the free will of the mutant or the person with the gene traits and then manipulate their genes. So let's say you had a mutant and your, um, your power was you had, I don't know, telekinesis powers, but let's say Genosha needed more healing mutants. He would manipulate your genes so that maybe not you, but at least the kids you had would have the mutant genes that would be necessary for healing. It, we always talk about Hydra being Nazi because they are, but like Genosha put together that ickiness, the ickiness of the efficiency of the Nazis that Hydra never got to. Like Hydra was just a, literally, Hydra's literally cartoon villains. Genosha, and they mentioned it's mutant apartheid, and it's more sinister. They're more sinister to me because it's stuff that could and has happened. Right. Um, they have a uh, special forces unit called the Press Gang, who are specially uh, special mutants who they have who will literally hunt. So let's say you are a citizen of Genosha and you're like, "Fuck this shit! I'm leaving. I don't fuck with this shit. This shit's crazy." And um, you leave. If it comes out that you have the X gene, they will go and hunt you down and bring you forcibly back to the island. Essentially, you know what's even cooler is the parallels between this and Rachel's memories as a hound. Like this, yes. it's so cool because the entire time Claremont's playing with the future that we know, that we think's going to happen, he gives us pieces of it that look like it's sim- uh, similar. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, um, yeah, it's, oh boy, it, they, um, Rogue and I think Rogue and Wolverine end up going. Madeline gets kidnapped because she's flying with one. Cause remember, Madeline was a pilot. She's flying with 
um, I can't remember the character's name, who was the, um, uh, she was, she was dating the engineer's son. I know you're talking about Candy. Oh my God, I had it written uh, down. Not Candy Southern, is it? No, it's not. It was something, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hate myself for forgetting this. Um, but Madeline, Madeline's kidnapped with her at the same time. Uh, cause she, and she's brought back because she had the X gene, uh, not not Madeline, but the other one had the X gene, and then Wolverine and Rogue are also uh, end up kidnapped by the Genosha magistrates. Um, and so, yeah, it's only three. It's only three three issues. Um, but again, some of these things are only small, and but. When you see the larger Marvel universe and you're understanding the larger impact of mutants and what's happening with them, you see where these things go. Um, the biggest one for me for this was, I mean, obviously you have the idea of Genosha and the X-Men taking them down. But the bigger thing to me is this is where you get hints of Madeline as the Goblin Queen. Yeah. And you get like the trash and Sim, you get all the little things that are happening in the background. Right. Because at one point, the engineers are, 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 are trying to figure out what's going on with Madeline. Because they're like, something's wrong with her DNA. She's not really a mutant, but she kind of is. And at one point, they tried to do the whole thing where they're activating genes and engineering her. And uh, she ends up wiping out the entire room. She doesn't remember what happened. Um, and they played it back. And she basically uh, used some, uh, some telepathy powers. Talking to, and she, she says, be careful when you strike a match, even if, you only, even if only to light your way through the darkness, because you never know when you'll light an inferno, when you'll ignite an inferno. And that's basically the beginning of us getting into what happens with Inferno. Um, so even after she's, she's rescued by the X-Men, the X-Men basically not shut down Genosha, but um, the engineer's son is basically like, we're, you know, I'm going to talk to people. We're going to stop this. And uh, just a hint, they don't. They don't. Mm-hmm. It gets worse. We'll deal with that later. Like, on. even when Maddie's on the table and, and the demon comes and says, to now is just later. Yeah. 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 Um, so you want to go into Inferno? Nigga. When I tell you that the best laid plans come out years later, the mutant massacre occurs in... 210. And let me just take a second here. So it's eventually re- revealed later on in the books, called, I'm going to call it a retcon if you want, that the Morlocks are the results of the Sugar Man coming over from the Age of Apocalypse with a collapse. He arrived in the past and, and experimented on the mutants in New York. Sinister used the mutant massacre to cull these unclassified genetic aberrations in the mutant genome. And it's revealed later on that Gambit led the Marauders down there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All this comes to a head later on. It's it's very well done. But question question for you question, how, question for you before you go further. For anybody who's been reading um, the Hickman run, didn't um, what happened when um, Magneto and, and and Xavier went to go visit? Sinister? Hey, we're doing that in month of ten, month of X. <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> We will we will deal with that when it's time. Not yet time, my friend. I just had to two ten. Inferno kicks off in two thirty nine. That's twenty nine issues. That's over two years. Yeah, of slow burn 
And, and here's and, this, and, and, this sinister plot. And, and just real quick, just real quick, that's to and that's just if you just cover X Men when you go into the sim and the theater stuff, and you're talking about you, you, you now get into the limbo stuff. You're talking about New Mutants too. Yeah, you're not talking about the new wing stuff because Eliana has his power, and you see it even then. They're not really too happy with her bossing them around and being mm-hmm. the ruler of, of of Limbo, which is kind of also kicking this off off. So you have a lot of people who have a lot of interest in certain and, and, and have different plans and plots coming together, and they all come to a head in Inferno. Sorry, I had to put that in there. No, you're right. No, 100 right. Let's, let's, let's deal with it. Let's talk about Inferno. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You, you got this one, because you wanted to talk about this one. Bro. Inferno is essentially, it's presented at the time as Sinister's master plan. He's going to take over, he's going to release this, this, this demon inside of Madeline Pryor, this clone of Jean Grey, and he does it. And he changes New York City. And it's not an X-Men event. It's a Marvel event. It captured... The books is told in Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, Exterminators, Excalibur, the New Mutants. We get the final evolution and corruption of Maddie Pryor. We get the final transformation of Iliana. Um, and then, you know, occasionally you get um, mailboxes that eat people. <laughs> right. Like I just Yeah, the so so a, a couple of things like you know um so Maddie's whole thing you got to remember his whole thing and she's she's one of the well, few things that set her over the over the top is she finally finds out why Scott hasn't called or at least from her opinion why Scott hasn't called. Right. Not that he thinks she's dead but that Jean is back as well. <clears throat> she finally cuz she she's she, they're in the one thing we didn't mention before when they got that the, the building from uh, the, the 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 new their new base operations from the Reavers has all this technology in it. So they have all these monitors and things, and they see in and the, the series always kind of been in Maddie's ear, kind of working her the last over the over this time here. And right. um, same thing with Sim a little bit. They've been kind of working her because again, their whole plan is to also open this dimension between limbo open the door between uh limbo and and earth it's only open whenever uh eliana uses her soul sword and they're trying to find a way to keep it open and and to kind of take over that way um the door open if you will yeah prop the door open um maddie's whole thing is like she wants she still doesn't know where her son is nobody has any idea of where nathan is and she wants her son. So she makes... And a literal demon says, I can show you your son. Yeah, and she, she makes a deal with the devil. The deal with the devil... The two, the two deals is she'll help cast the spell and keep the door open for Nasir. Because again, Nasir and Sim are also kind of also double-crossing each other. So Nasir's doing something without Sim, and, and his, his whole thing is, you know, he just wants to get the door open so he can get through. I want to keep it... I want to prop it open. And so... Um, Maddie says, fine, I'll do that, but you got to give me two things. One, my son, and two, the spell to help the X-Men get revenge on, on the Marauders. And um, you know how we said that the Marauders were kind of kicking the, the X-Men's ass? Part of the spell was to make the X-Men bloodthirsty, and um, it worked. <laughs> 
<laughs> they whooped these niggas' asses so quickly and so brutally, except for Colossus, because right. I guess this is like an old demonic lord that can't affect metal. Yeah. So his, his metal form doesn't make him succumb. But remember, he's the one that killed a Marauder before. He's the one that killed Riptide. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's nice. And I guess reading this all in a, in a, in a big block helps us kind of see the parallels mm-hmm. where he is so taken aback by his teammates' ferocity. He's like, uh, hey, guys. Uh. And, and even the way they're drawn at that time, you can see like the, the look on Wolverine and, and, and Aurora's face. You're like, oh, they're, they're like grinning and they're, and they're not. They're not beating the Marauders because that's just what is fair. They're like, they're enjoying killing them. They're they want them. the smoke. They want it. Yeah. Um, and so Nasir also makes good on his, pl- on, on his other promise. He finds out where Nathan is. Right? Because there's also, there's all the things going on too where they're kidnapping these, ki- these other kids and things like that. But we'll deal with that in New Mutants. We get with some of the Eliana stuff. I'll, we'll deal with it then. Let's just stay with the Maddie stuff here. Um, she finds out, they find out where it is, and lo and behold, it's where, you know, who has a kid? Mr. Sinister. And, um, Maddie also then finds out, unfortunately, um, she was a clone of Jean Grey. And the reason, and the reason why she was a clone of Jean Grey is because Jean had died, but Sinister had already taken, had had his plan Sinister wasn't done playing with the son of Gina. Yeah, and he, his whole plan was to create a, a new mutant using the Summers gene and the green gene, uh, the gray gene. But since Gina died, he had to clone Jean Grey and have you know and and and, and set that all up. So Maddie kind of finds out that her entire existence, the woman that she was, uh, remember, go go back to what we we read before about what Claremont has said about. Not wanting how why Maddie punched, um, uh, uh, why she punched Scott. She wasn't trying to be a reminder of his dead wife, but then she finds out here that's literally what she was. You know, and so and again, I go back to the idea of hey, you know what? He didn't want to do this, but Claremont found one hell of a way to 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 close the loop. Yep, that's one hell of a way. Um, to say that uh, Maddie doesn't take this. Well, it's probably understatement. Real bad. Like, super duper bad. Understandably so. Right. I'm not saying she's wrong on that. I get it. But she does take it far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, She's going to try to kill Nathan and pretty much everybody else. Um, This is where you get the X-Men and X-Factor coming together uh, to try to stop Maddie. Gene stops her. Kills her. Destroys her. Um, she tries not to. Yeah, but at she that tries point, not to kill Maddie. Maddie kills herself, really. True, and, and, and I'll she say tries that, to take Jean with her in that last. So one of the things about the creation of Maddie is that part of the Phoenix Force, when it came back to Earth to inhabit Rachel, leapt into that clone body. Mm-hmm. And that last bit of Phoenix Force energy is what lets Jean hold on and not die when Madeline does. However, in that mind link, she absorbed all that Madison experienced and knew in her time on Earth. Including the betrayal of her father, excuse me, of Cyclops, and the hatred of Nathaniel Essex. Right. 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 Because we've go read Inferno. Yeah, go read Inferno. It's an interesting arc. It's a great story. But my favorite part of Inferno is the epilogue because the mutants, the X Men, once New York's back, realize that Sinister's taken over the house. 
<laughs> if there's one X-Men trope that I'll never get tired of, it's blowing up that fucking mansion. It has to happen, yo. It has to. Sinister <laughs> thinks he's got him. He says, oh, I got put to school. Bruh, like half of them aren't even wounded. Right. It's like, it's hey, like, it's like you tried this on us? Right. Build our own man, we blow up our own we school. We built this shit out of Legos, bitch. What are you right. talking about? Uh and then Scott seemingly we know it doesn't work, but destroys. No, no, the, the my favorite part about those pages, and we talked about it in the Scott and Alex um character corner, is that Scott is doesn't want he can't do it. The mental blocks have been put in place based on the, that classic story that we saw the flashbacks of. So what does Havoc do? Antagonizes him like a little brother would. <laughs> Eggs him on him, pumps him with power, hits him with his plasma burst, and then those eye bursts come through, and he atomizes what we think ha- huge asterisks, Mister Sinister. Right. It's crazy. It's such good writing. Oh, All it these is. characters get f- full stories. They're full arcs. Right. No, and this is great. So, uh, so the impact of Inferno are. You you get some closure for Maddie in in you know after the Force return of Gene and to the point that if you weren't told or there weren't interviews that said that Claremont wasn't for the return of Gene Gray, you would almost have said this was all planned because it works so well, almost too well, of how all this stuff comes together. Um, it feels like one story, not one that someone fought over. Exa- exactly. And again, that might also come from the fact that we get to see the after effects and we're not watching the sausage being made, which is what happens today. Like today, I don't think that this story works because today we would have gotten the infighting. We would have seen the rumors so behind the door. on Twitter. Right. And editor would have said, here's what's going on. And blah, blah, right. Blah. And there would have been all kinds of articles about it. So by the time the story comes out, nobody's ready to give it a chance. Here, you're like, oh, man. Like you said, this is like... You know, two years of, of planning all all to make this all go away. And you're like, no, actually, uh, I didn't really want Gene to come back, and I was forced to. So here you go. This is this is my this is my B story. <laughs> this is the B story. This is the other story we weren't going to give you, right? Um, you get more of an origin now for Nate Summers, and you kind of now get Nate Summers and and uh. Set up this idea of of who Nate Summers is, uh, uh, Nathaniel Summers, and, and why between uh, Apocalypse and Sinister, this 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 is this one mutant to the center of everything. You get more of a founding for that. Um, we'll talk about this in the new, new mutant stuff, but you definitely get Liliana and her her demon powers and uh, um, the demon child, the demon child, the dark child. It's also why after this issue a- a- after after inferno Eliana returns back to her pre limbo age and she's, she's a kid again. again she's a kid again we'll get into that in new means part 2 we have there and then also have the third th- uh, the fourth thing which is uh Scottish Forever's comeback <sighs> it's true even Jean knows well it's cuz she's also got Maddie's memories like i said even Jean knows <laughs> um no but it's like you you when you read if you read this and then you also read x factor you're you're you're, you're you get a little bit more understanding of what's going on there it's now, a like, full story it's a fuller story there but you can be fulfilled reading just this. oh no absolutely you absolutely can you absolutely can um we also get things like the transmode virus and like there's a bunch of stuff that's been we, we kind of skipped over here 
I kind of skipped over a lot of it because I, I kind of feel like at some point we're going to cover a lot of this stuff again. We cover some other character we're doing. Month of X, also. Right. It's going to happen there, too. So, because again, I mean, shit, we, we made the jokes about Cypher and then I'm, I'm reading Hickman stuff and I'm like, it's like, it's like he heard the podcast. We didn't make fun of Cypher. You <laughs> made fun of Cypher. It's like I made some fun of Cypher. Some of us, some of us have always respected Douglas Ramsey. <laughs> I, I, I read the last issue. I was like, this is like it was written specifically for me. Uh, specifically, hey, Chris, by the way, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, That's specifically as a, as specifically as a fuck you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> it feels that way. I'm okay with that. I, I know you. would I be. support Hickman's message. I know you would be. I know you would be. Um, man, that was a. Not bad. It's almost ninety minutes of that. Um, and and again, I still feel like we only scratched the surface. Like I, we talk sure. so much. Go read these books. Go read Inferno for sure. For sure. Yeah, I I really feel like and and it's so it, again, we are such a fan of when you give a writer a sandbox at playing to tell their stories. And but this is why. This is why we're such a fan of it because we were raised on it. Yeah. And 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 again, I I think also can't be understated that. Claremont is doing so much writing during this time because again we we kind of gloss over, but he also then starts launching Ex, uh, Excalibur. He doesn't keep writing that book, but he does a few of uh, the first few issues of of Excalibur too. So he now has this is where you start getting the X books, right? You got X Factor going on, you have New Mutants going on, you got uh, Uncanny X Men, and now you have Excalibur in here. You're now getting that X family of books where each one of them though is telling their telling a story in that universe that relates together, you know from a different point of view that's dealing with something here. Um, yeah, it's, he's writing his ass off at this point. I can't remember if he's, is he still writing? I don't know if at this time he's still writing New Mutants. I don't know, I think he's off New Mutants. I think yeah, I think he's off of New Mutants at this point. And we'll get into that in New Mutants part two. So it's probably off of New Mutants, but again, some of that story is still being, like, the editing and, and, and control of these books and making sure everybody was on the same page, they did a great job. It's a masterful job. It's a mat. Like again, you're able to read, like you said, you're able to read these stories individually without reading the other books. When you do read the other books, it it then turns into a larger like, oh shit, all this stuff is going on. But you don't have to do that. And I think the the, the ability to do that is that is that was hard, <laughs> very very hard for them to pull off. But they did, and um. Yeah, so. Whew. All right. I think we're at the end, man. You got anything else you want to say about this? Go read these books, man. These, are, these podcasts are fun for us, and they're, I'm sure they're informational. This is not a replacement for reading the stories. No, you got to read these. You got to read these stories. Like, if, if any character coming, like, oh, I got a little knowledge from that. This is the one where you say, I should go read the Claremont run. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is it. Absolutely. And, this is the, and, and again, you ask why we do this. You ask, oh, how'd you guys get started? What makes you talk about X-Men so much? What makes you talk about comics so much? This is where we fell in love. I'll speak for myself. This no, is where I fell in love with the X-Men. No, you got, you got me too. This is it. The, 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 uh, the mature storytelling, the uh, established storylines, the continued character growth, it makes me, it, this is what makes me argue about comics and tell you that this, this comic book is art. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So. 
All right, folks. Um, so uh, by the time, you, well, shortly after you guys hear this, uh, we'll know who won the podcast awards for entertainment. Um, we'll see. If we didn't, we still we still appreciate everyone who voted for us. Appreciate everyone who's listening. All the new listeners we got. I know we've gotten some new listeners from this. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, so what's coming up here? So again, uh, this is episode seventy nine. Uh, I mean, uh, 78, episode 79 will be New Moons Part 2. We will finish our Claremont run with episode 80. I did not plan this out. Yes, you did. (laughs) I did not plan this out. We will finish the Claremont X-Men run with episode uh, episode 80. I think he stops writing at 279, but we're going to go all throughout the, the Mirror Island saga, which ends at 280. We'll stop there. We, and we'll probably also throw in, because, you know, I think we do have to at some point talk about X Men 1, 2, and 3. I think he wrote yeah, three. the three. The, the last Claremont books of Orange Tree. Yeah, we, we got we to do that. We, we got we to talk about that. Um, so we'll do that on X Men. Uh, there might be a small character corner short in there, or maybe not, because you know what? The next pull list will probably be in between there. So it'll probably go uh, uh, pull list. Uh, the next pull list will probably be, then we'll do. Uh, New Moons Part Two, and then probably the beginning of November uh, will be uh, episode eighty, which is the finally get the end of the Claremont run. Um, and then after that, man, I think we gotta go over to DC because we've been doing so much Marvel stuff. We'll we'll talk about we'll, it. We'll talk. We'll, we'll figure out what goes on. I have an idea. Oh goodness! It's See, a run we both read recently. Are we? Is it? Are we? What do you think? Tom King Batman. Wow, I was not because it's not done. I was thinking that Green Lantern run, the Four Horsemen. Okay, let's do it's it. Like fifty issues. Let's do it. I'm fine with that. We'll talk about. It. We'll, we'll talk. talk. We'll talk. We, maybe we should just do a character. We haven't done an actual character in a while. I know that's what I'm saying. Maybe we should be a character. We'll figure it out. But I'm, yeah, I'm we'll trying to trying to figure out who the character. We'll, we'll think about it, guys. We'll, we'll think about it. We'll figure it out. Uh, I know some of you are going to be like, I oh, miss Marvel or Moon Knight. We're trying to get somebody to DC because we, again, we've been doing, we really have been doing almost too much. Uh, and, and Moon Knight, stuff. how long do you want me to just yell? He's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I think those are some of the fun ones, though. He's crazy. <laughs> I think those are the fun ones. Um, all right, folks. Uh, again, thank you guys very much for listening. We enjoy doing this. We enjoy you guys listening. And we will be back soon. Make sure, again, uh, give us a five star review on the Character Corner feed on iTunes. Uh, you can also listen to us on Spotify. Hit that subscribe or follow button. Thank you guys very much. And until next time, we're out of here. Peace. Peace.